in this episode, what the heck is going on with capital markets, and then translators for technology, and then you have to see this innovation center. gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, please, please, please leave a review for the show. The show is still new. If you want to help support the show and our eight other oil and gas podcasts, Go to iTunes, Google Play, Skitcher, whatever. Leave us a review. If you love the show, we'd love to have a five-star review. If you don't like the show, go ahead and give us a one-star and tell us what we need to change. And before we get to our guests, a big shout-out to Nutanix. If you need help modernizing your data center and running an application at any scale, on-prem or in the cloud, these are the folks you want to talk to. So today I'm sitting here speaking to Nutanix with Michael O'Sullivan. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm great. How are you, Mark? Doing awesome. And... Neil, we just can't get away from each other. Can we? Yeah, yeah, you're stuck with me now. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think I bring Neil on as one of our podcasts and start his own podcast. This is like the second or third one he's been on. I see the microphone has his name on the. <laughs> yeah, we got it embroidered. Yeah, it's yeah, perfect. Yeah. yeah, but if there's anybody I'd want to sit in a room with and talk about digital transformation, all gas, y'all two are the ones. And we had so much good conversation before we turned the microphones on. I just want to jump into it. So, Michael, you were talking about how the business needs have to come first before IT gets involved. Let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I think Neil said that and I just took over what I was saying, but, but great minds think alike. Um, I think, you know, people have been preaching since the beginning of IT that, you know, don't want to have technology looking for a solution. I mean, uh, looking for a problem, a solution, looking for a problem. And it continues to happen. I think with digital a couple of years ago in oil and gas, particularly in the operators, you did see some of that were just running toward things suddenly because this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be cloud. We're supposed to do analytics and we're supposed to do all these things. How those things got tethered back to business objectives at that time was probably a little fuzzy. But I think now you can trace. I mean, now it's, it's real. The companies, you got the new normal, you have new expectations from investors and there's new business objectives that I think if you if you look closely, you can see that the business objectives are, in fact, driving at least some of the things that are on the digital roadmap, and those things ultimately have implications in IT and the different types of capabilities that have to be brought to bear on those problems. Yeah. So, Neil, uh, we were talking about this just a minute ago in the fact that in the oil and gas industry, IT has been wanting to be brought to the tables of business partner for at least 25 years, but they aren't because they don't understand the business. Now, with this almost convergence of operational technology and IT, they're going to be given a chance to be brought to the table, but it's going to depend on what they do with that chance. Absolutely. And we're already starting to see that with our clients, that you're starting to see IT have a, a seat at the table, quite frankly, because they have to enable the business to be able to be successful. So there's a number of different ways that they can do that to be successful, but that's really IT's core strength. The business's core strength is going to be understanding the business and where you're going to see return on investment. So that collaborative environment and being able to, to speak the same language or at least have interpreters that can express that value back and forth. This is vital in this environment, especially, as you mentioned, with capital markets being so tight. Yeah. And I forgot to mention, folks, Michael's with uh, Nutanix and Neil is with Accenture. So it's, it's actually really interesting that you brought that up, the capital markets. That's one of the new norms that's going on, especially in upstream, is that 
Wall Street is no longer looking for growth. Wall Street is looking for returns on their investments. That's a different paradigm for our industry. Yeah, it's completely different. I mean, CEOs are getting bonused differently now from how they got bonused before. And the deployment of capital effectively, it pops up into every conversation and every initiative. And I mean, this is why I say before, I think at one point in time, there's a lot of people running around trying to do digital without maybe a lot of business drivers. But I think now the business drivers are clear. And so these initiatives have to be successful in that new high pressure economy. I've actually had conversations with people go, well, we need to do a blockchain project. And I'll go, why? They go, I'm not sure, but, but everybody else is doing blockchain. Because we checked all the other boxes and that's the only <laughs> one that's not, that we're not doing. Yeah. But, but business can't be leading and saying, you need to implement a technology. That's, that's the IT's realm. Like being able to understand why it's in value and what is it unlocking, that's the value. Yeah, no, agree 100%. And then we have this strange, it's funny you brought up the translation part, that business analyst role, that didn't exist 10 years ago. That is basically a translator between IT and the business, right? And I'm not knocking them. I know some business analysts that make the machine hum, right? Because they understand both sides of the business. But we've actually got to the point now where we need a translator between the tech guys and the business guys. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll go even one step further. That's becoming table stakes. You need to go even further and say, are you actually dealing with the end users? Are you being empathetic to their needs? So it's not okay to be able to bring an iPad out into a hydrocarbon environment. It's not div one. Like we need to be safe. So you need to understand the environment. You need to be empathetic to the end users. You need to make sure that it's designed and intuitive and simple to use and works with the interface and actually works with my traditional IT stack. And we have to do it really quickly. Yeah. These are really tough asks and it isn't simple. And most large organizations are having trouble kind of migrating to that new and transitioning to that new, figuring out what my future systems look like. How do I take my, my small initiatives and scale them out? But that's actually a fantastic point, Neil, because the end users are the ones that drive everything. And if you get too far away from them, you're going to miss the mark, either with your project, with the budget, or the business results you're trying to hit. Yeah, I think it's true. But there's another component, though, for IT. I mean, for oil and gas, if you look at the digital initiatives that are on most people's roadmaps, and we were talking about this before, they're, they're basically the same from one company to the next. Don't wait. There's no way they're the same. They're kind of. They're kind of. <laughs> no, they are ex almost they exactly. A, they the look same. a lot alike. So another piece that's kind of behind the scenes, you have this user concern, but one thing that you have today that you didn't, that oil and gas was able to get away with before was now you actually, and if you want to accomplish these things, like improving, let's say I want to take what's happening somewhere further down in the life cycle, like development or even in production, you know, drilling. And I want to bring the output of that back to some earlier part of the life cycle. Like, let's say I want to refine my dynamic model in the reservoir, or maybe I even want to go back to seismic or, or just whatever kind of part of that loop you want to try to close. Now you're joining together people from different silos you know, the nice word for it is disciplines, right? You have these different disciplines in oil and gas, which have always been siloed. And everybody has known that's the case. But now you have to cross over those. So these people don't really speak the same language. Their data lives in completely different systems. They work on separate, they're distributed across complex environments, geographies. And in some cases, they're even distributed across companies. Because if you're doing an offshore project and you have two EPCs working with two different operators and they're trying to collaborate on front-end engineering and design for a field, you have people from all over the place 
and different silos. And you say, well, we'd like to have a digital twin to allow all these people to work together. And let's make sure we make it nice for the users. And meanwhile, the IT is going, forget about the users. I don't even know how to connect this stuff and secure it. And everybody doesn't want to share everything with everybody else. And so how do you like, how do you actually do that? It's much more complicated than it was when, you know, everybody could just deliver solutions in those individual silos. Yeah. So if you think of that maturity curve, so right now, or somewhere in the future, we're going to get through all that and we're going to learn how to work together, both the technology, the culture, the people. When we think of that maturity curve and all the gas, do you think we're in the middle at the end or do you think we're in the very beginning of that? You're, you're, you're <laughs> that's, that's, that's a really tough question. Well, how about this? You can compare oil and gas to the rest of kind of what we consider our industry segments. So shameless pitch for future systems, which is our big promotional push. And we'll actually have a bigger networking thing around that in April. If we look at oil and gas, I'm not sure why can, he's pointing at me when he says networking thing in April. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pointing towards the bigger Accenture okay. world over there. That's the the bigger, you know, the corporate galactic society. <laughs> oil and gas continues to struggle, and they're some of the last adopters in some of these digital technologies. Yet those are some of the easy, low hanging fruit that can actually start to drive value. Like, how do I get my operations more real time? We talked about more automated facilities. How do we actually start to remove people for not only safety reasons, but for skills reasons? It's really difficult to get people with these skill sets. So how do I start to make it more autonomous? How do I start to use more of the -the over-the-shoulder coaching, like a a realware or or a HoloLens to be able to make sure they can train and be able to do things more real time? So it's behind where we are in the segment. I think there's no industry that is learning faster. However, there's still so much room to gain. Yeah, I think we're in the infancy. I don't even think the fat woman's finished singing the national anthem yet for the baseball game. Now, I've been wanting this to happen for 25 years, and it's finally starting to happen. I mean, the good news is we're probably run out of oil soon anyway, so this, we won't have to get very good at, at all of these things. <laughs> that, well, but we, we said that so a while audience, ago. That hate mail goes to Michael, not to me. <laughs> but, but there was fear about we'll never be able to find oil again, and then there's the shale revolution. And I think if you actually right. map where future shale reserves are, there's actually a ton of shale available in the world. Well, so most I, of the world hasn't figured out how to work shale it's, like we it's, have in the U.S. It's so. the extracting, it's the water, it's some other things. But I think running out of oil is maybe a not, little premature. Not a concern. It will, the sun will run out of hydrogen before we run out of hydrocarbons. Because the other thing nobody thinks of, number two, is the best shale operator in the world can only maybe get 15% of those hydrocarbons out the ground. Yeah. As we move forward, new technologies will come. The other thing nobody talks about is hydrocarbons are still being made in the Gulf of Mexico, not the same rate in the Pleistocene and Jurassic era. Obviously, y'all two don't listen to oil and gas this week because we've been talking about this for years, but we're not running out of oil. However, <laughs> what we may Wait, run, I'm on your side. <laughs> what, what we may run out of is super smart people from the technology side of the world wanting to come work in the oil and gas industry, right? We're in a kind of a, a war for talent with Silicon Valley. And if you're get out of college with a degree in data science, do you want to go work for Chevron or Google? It's probably Google. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a shift in that here lately. But you're right. People aren't flocking to this industry. I think people are discovering that Houston isn't as horrible as they thought that it would be. And and I've seen some folks come from California and because, you know, they got connected to something in the oil and gas industry. So now I'm writing software for this company that's got, you know, subsea planning and development software. And hey, you know, Houston's actually not bad. And, <laughs> and so there's definitely sort of an attraction. And then there's all the image and everything else. So. There's some misconceptions. My own marketing director is from, from Canada, great guy I've known him for a long time. And I invited him to go to the gun range with me the other day. And so he asked me, he goes, do I need to get a permit or license to shoot a gun? I go, no. <laughs> he goes, really? I go, no. He goes, it means I can 
shoot your gun without a license? I go, yeah. yeah. Just don't shoot it at me. Yeah, it's one of the rights of being <laughs> a United States citizen. So it's just funny. Even my own teams has some misconceptions yeah, that if sure. we wouldn't have talked about it, wouldn't have stumbled across. Same way with Houston. Houston, we're catching up with Chicago. We're going to be the third largest city in my lifetime in the U.S. We have the second most number of theater seats outside of Broadway, and we have almost the equal amount of square footage of museum spaces as the Smithsonian. So people don't know that until you come here. You come here right? I will say, Brian Richards, who leads the hub, and, and even me, we both moved here from Chicago. So there is a certain amount of drain of talent into Houston. True so I too. will say... For a younger populace, they're starting to see this as an affordable place to live. And we say Houston's not a bad place to live. It's really true. It is a great place to live. If you're raising a family, I don't think there's a a better place in the country to be. It's the cheapest place I've ever lived. And if the people who are truly trying to make a difference, wouldn't you want to be on the inside trying to make that energy transition? So that's how we pitch it here. And do we lose people occasionally to the Facebooks and Googles of the world? Absolutely. But I think people are recognizing that I'd rather change from the inside. Yeah, I agree 100%. So one of the things I want to kind of circle us back around, because this is the tech (laughs) show, even though we've gotten off, which is great. I mean, this is all part of technology. Culture is something that a lot of people in the tech world don't think about, but it's, it's super important. But, you know, we're looking forward. We talked about that things are, are changing, whether you want to or not. Now there's like new expectations for IT. Yeah. For as long as I've been in this industry, IT kept the lights running, right? IT knew routing, switching, storage. They didn't understand the business. And I think moving forward that IT has to understand maybe not all the business, but more than it does now in order to move into that new IT world in oil and gas. What do you all think? I agree with you. I mean, I, I remember the days when all the IT guy really had to say in the meeting when somebody had some crazy idea he would just have to say well it's very complicated (laughs) it's really complicated we need to get the security guys and 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 so the wild card is that now you get the cloud providers and the hyperscalers going oh okay just bring all that over here we'll take care of it for you so you know kind of the like the jig is up and you can't just like maintain this really well-controlled IT environment anymore that the business just kind of has to like work its way around. And all of those things were done for good reasons. I mean, you know, IT as a function in large corporations is what, like 25 years old? I mean, before that, there was the engineering department and they worked to the computers. So there were good reasons for all of that back then. There was a lot of uncertainty. But now you got the digital solution people bringing in all this cool stuff that just works. I mean, it just works. Like you don't even have to install it and it's all in the cloud and developers can just start working with stuff and users can just start working with stuff. So IT absolutely has to kind of reinvent itself a little bit and say, how do we become a happy contributor in this kind of new mix as opposed to just like trying to keep everybody under control? Yeah, there's another part to it that's really fascinating to me is watching the older IT people not take the time to learn what's changing. Things like cloud, things like cybersecurity. Cybersecurity and cloud is actually more robust than on-prem, but it's different. And if you don't learn that difference, then you're automatically going to go, it's not as secure. Well, it is. It's actually more secure. Same with the at-dev world. You know, you look at quality control, quality assurance. That used to be a manual process where somebody else was reading the code that you wrote to check for errors. Now there's software that does it, and it does it a gazillion times faster and a gazillion times more accurate than people. We're getting ready to do an event in April, I think, with TopCoder. Well, there's a gig economy of some of the top technology minds in the world that pick and choose what projects they want to work on, right? They're not a traditional IT or traditional app dev guy that's sitting in a chair slinging code all day. It's like, I don't want to do that. I want to do that. 
right? So it's changing whether the industry wants it to or not, and it's changing for the better, in my opinion. That pretty much summed it up, I think. That uh, that's was, a, yeah, that was really, that, really that, I think that's straight on. The talent is getting fewer and far between. So with the new systems, the specificities are becoming even more important. So when you're talking about your IT strategy, be able to use multi-cloud solutions and being able to design in using Kubernetes and being able to be flexible, these skills are, are becoming even more valuable. And to your point, I have a choice to work for all of these tech companies, oil and gas companies, or quite frankly, anything else. So you have to interest me. You have to show there's social value to it. That's what the younger populace is, is quite frankly looking for. But if we look at kind of IT as a general flipping, it's not an easy job. The proliferation of new technologies out there to be able to understand and the trade-offs and choices you need to be able to make between truly going full cloud or a hybrid cloud or, or doing your own kind of on-prem solution. How do I manage that against some of my OT concerns for security? The role of your CIO is not any easier. It is infinitely tougher. Yeah, and in oil and gas, if you think about, especially in upstream, think of all the acquisitions that go on. So now, not only do you have all that you have to deal with, now somebody makes a decision to buy another company, and now you got to start trying to integrate their stuff, which is not the same as your stuff. Right, well, and it's not just the corporate integration, right? It's what assets do they own and what, I mean, you think about, I can't imagine what, you know, there's some people, so Oxy buys Anadarko, but they spin off the offshore assets to Total, right, who is like working on a whole bunch of stuff with Technip at the moment, who happens to be splitting themselves into two different companies. So, you know, yeah, non-trivial, all that. So besides the corporate systems, the assets that are involved in those trade-offs and mergers and, and divestitures and, and all the computing that sits out there in those places and all the things that they're connected back to. So I think, you know, you mentioned the hybrid cloud. And do we go all in cloud or do we go all, you know, like there's a little bit of like people sort of digging in and saying, oh, we're all cloud. And over here, you got some people in the data center saying we're all on premise and oil and gas because of all those moving parts and all those things that are distributed across such like complex environments. The hybrid cloud is how it's going to be. You know, there are things that you have to do in the cloud, the kind of analytics on big data, like it makes no sense to try to build that out in your data center. But what you do with the output of that and how you distribute those things back into the processes and the users and the people that think, right? So you're going to be connecting this stuff on the edge. You're going to be putting stuff in the cloud and you're going to be running stuff in your data center. Like that's how it's going to be. And then you're going to be trying to map all that to all these assets that are coming and going and spinning up and shutting down and, and, and everything. So I think that's a whole new kind of infrastructure, you know, kind of design. And it's a whole new set of skill sets to say, how do we really do that effectively and not just put ourselves at the mercy of one particular cloud provider who's going to land, you know, 700 of their architects in my, in my world and just start doing stuff. So it is, it's important to get that right. And the speed and the pace of that change has accelerated, I mean, exponentially. You know, when I was, I got in this business in the late 80s and early 90s, you might have a change in routers. I mean, literally, right. that was it. And that was a big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. But now with or all Or you're this, adding a second T1. Or adding yeah. a second T1, well, <laughs> yeah, you're dating yeah. yourself right there for sure. <laughs> I remember when the T1 was hot. Yeah, it was. Not five yeah. megs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but now it's just the pace of the change is so fast. And, you know, we're talking about an industry that is a global industry. So imagine all this stuff changing. And in Germany, your servers physically have to be in German 
land if they're email servers. I mean, then you have different rules and different geographic constraints and different geology. I mean, it's just, it's a mess. And so if you're in IT and oil and gas now, you're in the middle of so much change. You are. And I mean, I think the good news is that this is part why I have to avoid turning it into a Nutanix commercial. But the good news is that there are new ways of doing things that really are better and easier and, and not just the stuff that we do, but I'm sure some of the stuff that you guys are cranking out here in the innovation hub. There's new ways of doing stuff, not only on the application side, not only all the cool, sexy stuff about, you know, data lakes and analytics, but for all of that kind of infrastructure stuff, there are new ways of doing things, but it does require you to kind of get outside of the way you've always done it before and learn about, you know, if you want to know how to scale something in a complex, ever-changing world, like look inside a Google data center, right? There's new ways of doing stuff and you have to learn about those new ways and partner with people who are, you know, doing things in a way that aligns better to all these new initiatives. You know, we're not going to turn this into a Nutanix commercial, even though y'all do sponsor the show, but y'all are doing some stuff I had never seen before. Y'all are doing some really, really cool business impacting stuff that makes a difference. And I think it's just the right time in our industry for companies to look outside of what they're used to and look at different companies that have a tool that they need, such as Nutanix. Yeah. I mean, I'm relatively new to Nutanix and I came to the company to kind of take our offerings, all of our software offerings, and say, how do we kind of align those to what's going on in oil and gas, specifically what's on people's digital roadmaps? What are they trying to deliver? So I'm still a little bit in the learning process, but like every week I discover something else that's really cool that we can do. And I think about how, you know, 15 years ago, the way we used to have to do those things, and it was difficult. So if you want to talk about how can I have a common operating system across all these different places, my data center and the cloud and the edge, and so that I can move data around and secure it and connect things that were never connected before. And how can I do really like some of you know life's less interesting things like push out patches and upgrades? Because another thing that I think people don't think about is it's one thing to deploy all this stuff. It's another thing to operate it over it. time yeah. and keep it running and keeping it healthy. So there's some amazing new tools and it's not just about virtualization. It's about a lot of things that get applied to all those different problems to basically make it easy and transparent so that now we can focus on the thing of real value, which is how do I get all this data, you know, and do the analytics on it and then send it back to the thing that needs to be automatically adjusted so that I can drill better or produce more or whatever the, the thing is. Yeah. And Neil, this is 2020. The 2020 Accenture is nowhere near what the 2010 Accenture was, which is nowhere near what the 1990 Accenture was. I mean, now we've become a hub of innovation, right? And and thinking (laughs) outside the box and helping huge enterprise companies make the right decisions. I think fundamentally it's you need to shift with what your clients need. And quite frankly, you have to shift before that is the client demand. So every five years or so, we fundamentally reinvent who we are as a business. Our fundamentals as a company stay the same. Our core values stay the same. But our business relevance, in order for us to continue to provide value, we need to continue to change. Five years ago, that was, we went all in on digital and trained 75% of our folks up to be digitally fluent experts in whatever technology they're deploying. We actually just did a, a more recent shift to be able to align ourselves to say, how do we drive innovation at scale? How do we drive those big changes, those new business models to be able to show that next level of value for our clients? So 
Yes. Every year it's very different. And I, I feel in the last two years, we really sped up that in our interactive group. So I know we had this conversation just before, but you know, whether it's acquiring the, the guys who did the CGI for Game of Thrones in our interactive group or Droga 5, which is Ad Week's ad agency of the year, or Nitec, which is actually one of the world's largest producers in hardware. We continue to figure out what our clients need and how do we merge into that space. You know, if you would have told me five years ago that Accenture one day would be the largest digital marketing agency out there, I would have said you're insane. But if I you asked me y'all... five years ago, I would have, <laughs> I would have been surprised. Yeah, I mean, well, so before we started, Neil was giving me a tour of the innovation hub and we came around a corner and the first thing I said was, it doesn't look very Accenture-y. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on out there. Yeah, and audience, by the way, if you ever get a chance to tour their innovation center here, you have to see it. It's mind-boggling. It's cool, too. It looks like something trails Silicon Valley. It, yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, There's cool chairs to sit in and cool sit stand desks. There's there's beanbag yeah. chairs. Yeah, I didn't see any ping-pong oh. tables. Though. I know. There is. The ping-pong table's, the <laughs> ping tables in the corner along with the arcade. So And LaCoy everywhere. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. snacks. Apparently snacks are a big thing. I'll bet, guys. All right, so I don't know how much we actually accomplished today, but this has been really good. We're getting close to having to wind down the show. So before I get into all the stuff to pay the bills, Michael, is there something else you want to kind of end on? Something else you want to talk about? We set out with this topic. I guess what started it was we read this IDC report, you know, that has a very buzzwordy kind of title. It actually has the word transformation twice in the title <laughs> but research. but the premise is that you know the premise of digital transformation driving IT transformation you say all those words and I almost immediately start to close my eyes but but the idea that the business needs certain things from digital and so therefore digital needs certain things from IT and in oil and gas when you say IT you, we know that also out there is OT and that's a whole other set of things that have to be sorted out so the idea that we should look at that holistically to throw out another buzzword and say, all these things are tied together. There are business objectives. There are digital objectives. And IT needs to deliver certain things besides just saying, we're going to go to the cloud. And so the idea that you should plan all that, assess it, plan it, have everybody at the table, like you were saying before, to make sure that you're designing not just for the pilot, but that you're designing and planning for how are you going to take that deploy it and operate it out in the wild and get the results from it that you want and get those results into the hands of the people that need them or back out to the robots underwater who are going to change what they're doing, right? So, you know, if you peel back all the buzzwords, I think that's a really good kind of framework to look at the whole thing. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I don't know if I can top that. That was really good. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Ultimately, we're talking about digital transformation. It has to be a driver of business value. So IT is merely a tool to be able to drive that. So you have to ask yourself, as you've eloquently stated, it's, how does IT enable that? Whether it's from any function, whether it's your IT stacks, the cloud, is it VR? Don't just deploy technology to deploy technology. Technology is just a tool. You should care about the business value. And then not only does it drive business value, but does it drive business value at scale? And does it actually address right. the needs of the end user? If you keep those things in mind, that's actually going to drive difference. So those are the basic things. You said it yeah. much more eloquently. <laughs> very well said. Speaking of very well said, this is the point of the show where we do our product reviews. If you have a tech product you want me to review, send it to me. You know the deal. If I think it's great, I will tell you it's great. If I think it's not so great, I will say it. So Yeehaw sent me a Wi-Fi HD 1080 24 megabit 
digital zoom camera with microphone and wide-angle lens. This thing looks like a pro video camera. Unfortunately, it's not that good. I'm pretty sure my iPhone shoots better video than this thing does. The audio is good on it, right? And the other interesting thing is it has night vision. The night vision is actually pretty good, but most vloggers and YouTubers don't do a lot of night vision type of work. So for our use, it's not something that we would recommend. If you do need an easy, inexpensive way to shoot some night vision with good audio, you might want to check out. It's $169. The link's in the show notes. And then Street Team, if you want to join our all-volunteer Street Team, you basically help us with our social media. I think we're up about 380 people globally. Just go to Facebook, search for OGG and Street Team. we got some cool swag coming your way. You get to join us as part of our press team if we're in your local area. And you get to go to our live events for free. And then Michael, thank you, although you're not personally involved in this, but Nutanix is giving away this really cool JBL Flip 4 speaker to our audience. We give away one a week. Go to the show notes. That's true. Actually, you can enter and win. You can't. I can't. Oh, sweet. Yeah. All right. I'm in. Yeah. yeah. But it's, I actually have one of these, not the Nutanix brand one, but I have the actual JBL floor. It's a fantastic Bluetooth speaker. So the link's in the show notes. If you want to try to remember, it's Nutanix.com forward slash OG Tech Podcast. We give away one a week, so go register. And then speaking of Nutanix, as Michael said, Nutanix enables IT teams to build and operate highly automated private hybrid clouds. Plus, they understand the business model, I guess. Michael's one of the reasons for that. So if you have some need, reach out to good people. They won't try to sell you. They can try to understand your problems. Same way with Accenture. One of my favorite things about dealing with Accenture is the first thing everybody asks me is they go, what are you trying to do? Right? Nobody ever says, buy my stuff. So I've got two of the greats sitting right here. And while you're online trying to win this stuff, go ahead and go give us your email. Go to oilandgastechpodcast.com. We promise not to spam you. It's how we alert our audience to anything new that we're, to do, that we're doing. Whew, getting tongue-tied here. So, Michael, Neil, as usual, thank you very much. This has been awesome. Really good. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And if people want to learn more about Accenture, where should they go? Oh, my gosh. The, right the corporate galactic <laughs> website. But honestly, Accenture Houston Innovation Hub has its own internal page. That's a great jumping off point. If you want to learn more based on that, there's a couple of videos, credentials, et cetera. But more than anything else, I'd encourage you to reach out to that kind of contact information and, and get a tour. Yeah, there's well, no better way of actually understanding what we do than seeing what we do. And you have to come see it on. So we'll put a link in the show notes. And Michael, if people want to learn more about Nutanix, where should they go? So Nutanix.com has a lot of great stuff on it. So it's a good resource. However, I will say that my job at Nutanix is 100% focused on looking at how do we make our oil and gas business more relevant. So I'm happy to take any phone calls, answer any emails, go, I'll drive out and have coffee with anybody who wants to just understand more about what's going on. And so we'll put the links to both y'all's LinkedIn profiles in the show notes as well. Yep. That way, if you want to reach out to Michael or Neil, the link will be in the show notes. All right, folks, we are making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck for February. We do not have any OGGN happy hours in February, but we do have an exciting event coming up in Pittsburgh. This will be our first happy hour there in March, and it will be taking place on March 25th. The location is to be determined, so be sure to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter to keep up with uh, those announcements and to purchase tickets. The Houston API Luncheon will be on February 11th. This will be a networking event with top oil and gas business leaders. And they promise that you'll be learning something really cool. So check it out and sign up for that event. The Wildcatters Ball will be on February 7th in Houston. This ball is the primary oil and natural gas industry fundraising event for the IPAA Educational Foundation. Proceeds go toward funding the foundation's energy education programs. The API Energy Houston Three Gun Chapter will be on March 20th in Houston. 
This event fills up really quickly, so make sure to get your team entered. The best way to do so is to fax or email the form with at least a captain's name as soon as possible. If you need to wait for a check, just notate that on the bottom of the form and send it on. We will be sending Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister to Scotland, to Aberdeen, Scotland, on March 5th for DokaruCon, which is the first event of its kind. It is a conference for creating high impact sales in energy. And Mark and Patrick will be hosting a panel and recording a live podcast. If you're interested in attending this event, visit dokarucon.dokaru.com. And that is D-O-Q-A-R-U-C-O-N. That's all for this month. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to check again next month for more updates on OGGN events. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil and Gas Temp Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.